everyone, and welcome to the JMU Sport Communication and Culture Podcast. I'm Laura Bowman, and later I will be joined by my co-hosts, Will Knopper and Savannah Pearson. Today's topic focuses on the use of technology in sport. Is it helpful or a hindrance? Technology doping is the practice of gaining competitive advantage using sports equipment. As technology is becoming more advanced, the influence it has on the sports industry is increasing. The World Anti-Doping Agency considers prohibiting technologies to be performance-enhancing or being against the spirit of the sport. In 2006, the WADA initiated a consultation on technology doping, which is now recognized as a threat. However, whether to allow or ban a new technology is the responsibility of each sport's own governing body. Advancement is a natural phenomenon, but its utilization to gain an unfair advantage is what converts it into doping. In absence of defined rules, there exist opportunities to find ways to gain advantage over others. Some technologies serve as a beneficial means across the board. Examples of this include the bobsled timing unit, Bain My Omega, which is capable of transmitting speed, acceleration, g-force, and vertical track positioning data, providing increasingly accurate results. In addition, cross-country skiers are now tracked by GPS to show real-time positioning throughout the event. However, some technology can only be attained by money and endorsements. For example, the American, Canadian, and Russian Olympic freestyle ski teams all wore new uniforms with a zipper designed to cut down on weight and a pattern that masked body movement, a key component when judging mobile skiers. In 2008, the LZR swimsuit was introduced at the Olympics, which enhanced performance too well, leading to it being banned by FINA, the governing body of the Olympics. The suit allowed for better oxygen flow to muscles and trapped air to add buoyancy. Swimmers wearing the new suit made 23 out of the 25 world records that were achieved that year. In the 2016 Summer Olympics, all six medals of the marathon event were won by athletes wearing the same shoe, raising concerns that this technology led to a non-physiological advantage for Nike-sponsored athletes. These improvements are somewhat comparable to those expected from various blood doping substances and methods including on the prohibited list of the WADA, such as erythropoietin, which has been shown to improve performance by 4-6%. This leads us to our question for today's podcast. Does technology dilute the human effort and create unrealistic goals and records, or is it an asset to the sports industry, its players, and the fans? Hey, Laura. Thanks for having me on here today. I'm really excited to talk about how technology has changed the sports industry and will continue to do so in the future. And I'm going to start by talking about some helpful examples on how the advancement of technology has been crucial to the sport. But then I'll also end by talking about some controversial examples on how maybe too much technology or the manipulation of technology can actually be harmful to the sport. And the industry. So to start, the first helpful example is with injury prevention. So engineers in the NFL have designed a new first position specific helmet for linemen, and their goal is to reduce concussions. There's gonna be extra bumpers on the front and upper sides to reduce collision and create a more safe environment in the NFL. Linemen who get tackled on a daily basis end up seeing long-term effects. So this technology will also help protect athletes post-retirement from developing diseases like CTE down the road. 
So this is a great step that the NFL and its engineers are doing, which is going to be crucial for the safety and health of players. And it might attract more players to even get interested in playing this game. Uh, Moving on to the MLB world, uh, we will talk about digital modeling. And to start, it's kind of all come around through these biomedical engineers from Northwestern University. And they were trying to take a new approach to one of the most confounding injuries, which is damaging your ulnar collateral ligament, also known as your UCL. And what they've done was they've created like a built a computer modeling technique simulation to study arm and hand control for the development of advanced prosthetic devices. So this technology simulation was used to simulate a pitcher's throwing motion to see how their muscles can affect the UCL. And what they found was that it might not just be about how you throw the ball and the repetitive nature of that, but more about how you're training your muscles and your elbow to prevent this injury from happening. So there's a little bit of a misconception because I know a lot of coaches and trainers are telling you to reduce your UCL being torn, throw it this way instead of that way. Well, that might not be the case. It might be more about how you strengthen and train your muscles in your arm. So with this technology, we can see a reduction in Tommy John surgery. Since 2013, one-third of MLB pitchers have gotten Tommy John surgery. So if we can reduce that number, wow, technology can be crucial to the sport industry. Another reason why technology is a helpful example in sports is through stat tracking analytics. In the sport of golf, SkyTrack is a new technology that can measure your total distance of a ball, your ball speed, your launch angle, your flight path, backspin, and distance to hole. Now with this, not just golfers, but professional golfers can use this technology to really help their game and see right in front of their eyes on this mini screen that this is, all these statistics and measurements and variables of where they are at each point on the green, which is going to change the golf game forever. Moving on to the professional soccer world, we have performance monitors. Performance monitors are these vests that professional soccer players wear, either in training or in games, that gives them information and statistics to the players, but also to the coaches on their heat maps, so where they are traveling on the field the most. Maybe a coach will see that and say, oh, our striker is not dropping back on defense enough. We see that you've been spending most of your time on the opposition half. That could be great advice and information for the coach. Also, total distance, if they're not running enough, how many total sprints they've had, their max speed during the game, all which is critical information that can help the performance and optimize the player and the coach to success. Now, those are some helpful examples, but what about some controversial examples? Well, the first one, not so much controversial, is the Houston Astros scandal. So the Houston Astros in 2017 had a video replay room where in the middle of the game, they learned how to decode signs used by the catcher. The decoded signs were then relayed to a player who would act as a runner to relay information to the dugout. 
Astro players worked together at the start of the season to improve the sign-stealing process by including and installing a TV outside the dugout to make the process more efficient. So now, this has nothing to really do about the advancement of technology, but more about the manipulation of technology in the sport, which argues, should we have technology can hurt the sport. And how I feel about this is... Obviously, this is more of an ethical issue than it is the advancement of technology, but it shows that technology does make life easier. And how easy it is for a team to take advantage of technology to cheat and win and get what they want, which kills the nature of sports and the hard work and ethic that you do to put in to win when you lose by a team who um, uses technology to get what they want. The second controversial example is in the sport of soccer again, with its VAR system. If you are unaware of VAR, VAR is a video assistant referee. A video assistant referee is a match official at the game who reviews decisions made by the head referee with the use of video footage and headset for communication. Now, this was designed specifically to, in order to minimize human errors cause, causing substantial influence on match results. This came about in the season of 2018 and 2019 where leagues across Europe began using this VAR system to protect themselves and the teams from calling bad calls and the referees swaying the game off of their decisions, which a lot of the times were wrong. So I've been watching soccer for over a decade now, and I've, growing up, I've seen many times where referees would have calls that were incorrect. They would call players offside when they weren't offside. Um, we'd see goals that go over the line that didn't count as um, a goal because they believed that the, kick, the, the defender cleared out in time, and it really was causing an issue. And VAR has done a great job um, in one aspect of making sure the ball actually is over the line, it's deemed a goal, and also calling players who are offside, offside. Um, the con comes into play, and the controversy where people and fans, and especially opposition players, or the victim players, is when a referee uses this, this technology and still goes and checks the VAR and still gets it wrong, or he overturns the call. So if he makes that call and then overturns it, it, really VAR is useless at that point because it still goes down to human error. VAR was designed to minimize human error, but at the end of the day, it's still a human who's making the decision on whether it's a call or not. And this goes down to the cultural aspect of the sport because it does kill the mood and atmosphere of the sport. For example, one of the reasons why I chose the sport of soccer to play and also to be a fan of the, of the sport was because of the, of the immense passion that it brings when you score a goal, um, especially a last-second goal or a tying goal or a goal to win the game or your hat trick, and you see the fans celebrating and you see everyone screaming their passion. The player celebrates. The team comes together. It's just a great feeling. It's one of the best feelings in soccer. And now the video assistant referee has come into play. 
it's really killed the culture of the sport. When you see players score a goal now, now it's not really celebrating. It's, it's everyone looks at the referee and kind of pauses and it's awkward silence and we're just sitting there waiting for two, three minutes to see what the referee decides to do. Was there a potential handball on the lead up to the goal? Was there a foul within that 30 seconds before the goal? Was he offsides? So it really killed the atmosphere and sport of scoring a goal in soccer, which on the culture aspect of it has actually killed the game because that is a big value of what people like about soccer is the passion and the celebration, um, scoring a goal and being with your team and doing a dance. That, that's the best part about soccer for a lot of people. So it really has changed in that aspect. So on that note, that's all I have time for today, talking about the helpful examples of what technology can do for the sport industry, but also some of the controversial and maybe harmful examples that it can do for the sport itself. So before we transition to our next segment, I want to take a quick word from our sponsor. O'Reilly's Auto Parts is an American auto parts retailer that provides automotive aftermarket parts, tools, supplies, equipment, and accessories in the United States, serving both the professional service providers and do-it-yourself customers. Once again, folks, O'Reilly's Auto Parts. So now we're going to transition to our next segment where we have Savannah Pearson, and she is going to be interviewing the James Madison University Athletic Marketing and Director of Fan Engagement, Taylor Blakely. Savannah, the floor is yours. Today I'm lucky to be here with our guest speaker, Taylor Blakely, who is the Director of Game Day and Fan Engagement for JMU Athletics. Thanks for taking the time to do this today, and I'm excited to hear your opinion on technology in the sports industry. So to kick us off, have you had a more positive or negative experience with developing technology in sports? This could be in your specific job role or just as a sports fan in general. Uh, I would say for myself it's been positive um, because most of the technological advances have been uh, for the betterment of uh, of our positions, um, mm-hmm. as far as the the game day and fan engagement, we're able to do a lot more. Especially when you when you look at um, something as simple as tweeting to the screen, where fans can tweet a photo of themselves and go up on the video board, mm-hmm. and, and it just adds another layer of uh, personal touch that that we would not have had in the past. Um, then you know, from a fan side, I really enjoy um, all the new advances that you have. Um, sometimes. You know, from a fan, you have to really pull yourself away as a fan and look at what uh, what's happening and and is it really beneficial? You get frustrated with stuff like replay in baseball where they calls are very obvious that uh, it should be overturned, but then they can't do it, mm-hmm. um, and then you're just kind of wasting time at that point. Yeah. Um, but from from my role, especially in um, in the role of game day and fan engagement, um, we're able to do a lot more than we uh, would have been able to do, say, when I got into the industry yeah. 10 years ago. Um, you know, you it, it would have been wild to think about fans tweeting photos of themselves um, and uh, and then just having the constant interaction that they do have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a whole different, uh, different game. We're talking about, you know, going from... Uh, 
especially at JMU where we've gone from uh, like a basketball, we've gone from the convocation center where we had no technology mm-hmm. in the venue to now we're going to have uh, every, every single uh, bit of the available technologies that you would have at any kind of a basketball game from pro sports on down um, we'll have in that venue, which is super exciting um, going forward. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind what of- other changes have you seen in sports at JMU? Um, the one is just kind of the the constant changing of um, going from what we did have to what we have now, you mm-hmm. know, um, or, or keeping up with the times as far as technology goes. Um, and, and even if something as simple that you don't think about, um, but having uh, Wi-Fi capabilities in the Atlantic Union Bank Center. Yeah. Where, especially for students, like to be connected at all times and, you know, uh, don't want to go somewhere where they're going to be for, you know, two and a half hours mm-hmm. without connectivity and then they can't engage and they can't um, do a lot of the stuff that we want them to do. Um, so from that standpoint, that's that's been one of the nice ones with Jamie. You know, Jamie does a really good job of constantly changing and evolving. Um, we're about to start a new project here soon where we're going to be updating the video board at Centera Park um, just cool. because we're behind on the times. That mm-hmm. board is not um, not up to par of what it, it should be for uh, the, our, our teams, and we're going to get it there. So then it's going to help when we come to what kind of uh, – interactive capabilities we can have on a game day um and then you know that's i'm my level is a lot a little different on the uh, game day and fan engagement side as opposed to when you get into the uh the team aspect and all the stuff that those guys can do i mean i couldn't imagine getting through uh, how they got through covid this year the way they do the amount of technology that was involved with that and the trackers they wore to to keep up with uh contact tracing and all the uh, different elements to make sure that they were being safe. It's just mind-blowing what they were what they were able to do. Do you think the technology or the use of technology can take away from some aspects of the game? Uh yes, absolutely. Um I'm a huge baseball fan. I um baseball to me is one of the sports, especially major league baseball that struggles mightily to get younger fans. Um they have so many great stars and so many uh, so many young faces that they're able to promote. But then you watch a game and there's a replay that is clearly one way or the other and you're wasting five, ten minutes um, of nothing, just downtime um, to review a play that either shouldn't be reviewed or, or is very obvious. And then you, you know, you're taking a group of people that you're trying to engage, younger fans, and they're used to constant interaction and constant mm-hmm. um, updates, and it just slows everything down. So that from that side, I'm not a, a massive fan of it. And then also, you know, the keeping on the baseball side of things from my standpoint, as a fan, this is much more as a fan. Um, it's a, uh, it makes it um, a little. I'm trying to think the best way to say it. It makes it not as much fun. Um, the amount of analytics that go into it because of what they can uh because of the data that all the teams have um you know you watch games and um I was watching a baseball game uh just a few days ago and uh manager pulled a pit or didn't pull a pitcher and bring in a new pitcher because the data told him not to and then you give up three home runs it's like where's the balance is there a line where technology is too much or not enough right is there is there a, a a line where you're you know 
are you just completely relying on technology all mm-hmm. the time, or are you using you know any of your instincts and knowledge? Um, and now it can greatly it, uh, benefit your knowledge and, and from that side. Um, from the from my side of things, as far as like the uh, fan engagement side, it's fantastic. Um, the more advances in technology, the better. Um, especially from what we can do when it comes to in venue and being able to interact with fans, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, the downside comes from trying to push through that to get fans actually engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it a challenge. It makes it one where you really have to be um, on top of uh, on top of your industry and keeping up with trends and changes in the business. Because if not, um, you know you're going to fall behind, mm-hmm. and, and people are going to be able to go to a Nationals game or Wizards game or something and they're going to have experiences different from what you're providing and that's where you fall behind. Yeah. And don't want to, basically don't want to fall behind, I guess. Well, lastly, this is on the other side of things. There's more social media aspect of it, but technology has allowed fans and athletes to connect over social media, which has certainly made an impact on college athletics programs and players and their actions specifically. So do you think social media can be harmful to sports and athletes as a whole? Uh, absolutely. Um, and I will say the, the thing that is the most frustrating right now for me personally is seeing, uh, I think gambling plays a massive mm-hmm. role in it and is one that is very upsetting because I see how much work the student athletes are putting in. Yeah. And you see, you know, how hard they're trying. They're balancing class and and uh, workouts and film sessions and practice and doing all this to prepare for a game. And then they miss a shot at the end of the game. And any idiot with a cell phone can just start blasting them on Twitter. Yeah. And... Um, I saw it during the uh, during our conference tournament. We had a young man who literally was the one of the main reasons we were even in the game at the end of the game, missed a shot near the end. Mm-hmm. And his social media, our social media, um, were just getting blown up with negative comments. People about just him. roasting him. Just, just the most vile stuff that you're saying to an 18, 19-year-old kid yeah. at this point. And um, from that standpoint, it can be very harmful. Now, I do think there are great benefits where um, student athletes, in particularly, um, are able to really voice their opinions mm-hmm. and, and have kind of an unfiltered way of doing that. As long as they're smart and know how to do it in the, in a proper way, it's fantastic. I mean, look at what happened with women's basketball in the yeah. NCAA tournament. We talked about that in class. If the if the uh, young lady from Oregon did not have the platform to do that, who would have known? Yeah. I mean, because this this situation wasn't any different than anything that's probably happened in the past. Mm-hmm. But she had an outlet with a massive number of followers. Yeah. And um, basically did it at the perfect time and said, look at the inequality between our two setups. And then what happened? Change. Mm-hmm. Immediate change. Um, whereas without technology and without social media, it probably doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, it just stays as is. So that's one that's awesome to see that kind of that kind of thing and then you also have the uh i know there's the group that started the uh the um whenever there was a whole lot of discussions about not playing football playing football the power five schools a a group of them banded together and basically got football to happen 
And a lot of it happened because the students were mm-hmm. working together um, through social media. So I think there are great positives. The negatives are the stuff that, that people drive, you know, drive in really hard and see just how bad it can be because some of the stuff that people say, it, it, it's, it's just vile stuff. And a lot of it's because people are, um, I think, very dehumanized on social media. That just goes with our society and no- cultural norms, on, especially on, like, big networks and platforms like Twitter. Right. People are so used to being able to say whatever they mm-hmm. want and and it's really to a point where um, it's sad what happens with the with the student athletes because I know it happened with uh, during the NCAA basketball tournament, guys would miss a shot, and then to lose the game or play bad, uh, play poorly and lose, and they would just get destroyed on social media um, by all these people who just can come out of the woodwork and have no worry of any backlash <laughs> for them, you know, and. Uh, and that's where it's just kind of our, where our society is gone with any topic, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. it so it can be. It's yeah. I think it is harmful, but at the same time, it's uh, it can be very beneficial and impactful. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the name, image, and likeness stuff as mm-hmm. that goes forward, um, because you're gonna have people like the uh, I don't know if you remember the uh, Central Florida kicker from a few years ago who had just millions of YouTube followers because he would do all kind of fun trick kicks on YouTube and stuff like that. And he was unable to monetize his his YouTube, whereas... Oh, like, he was an athlete. Because he was an athlete. Yeah. So as any other student would have been able to make money. Good money, too. Money, good money. <laughs> and he literally quit. Like, he was playing and just quit before his last year. And, uh, it, you know... Hopefully, in the years coming up, he would have been able to monetize that and actually have uh, turned it into something you know that benefited him going forward. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that that kind of stuff will continue to to grow and get better as we go. Well, that's all I had today. So thank you for your input on this topic, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of JMU Sport Communication and Culture Podcast. Catch you guys next week. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs>